Hey, everybody, welcome to the Daily Objective. Today is Tuesday, March 23rd, and it is, uh, we used to call it Election Tuesday back when that was happening. Actually, today is an election day in the state of Israel, which, you know, you, you would have thought we might do an episode about it. Maybe we would even get Lord Emperor Razi for special appearance to discuss this area of his uh, wide expertise. But there's something more pressing that I think we need to discuss, which is uh, the United Kingdom is placing travel bans or travel restrictions, I should say, on people that want to travel, even though the vaccine is being uh, largely distributed and ingested, if you'd call that, or injected, I think is, is the right term for it. So uh, what's up with that? And uh, how should we think about this? I tend to say this is the sloppiness of the modern world, the sloppiness and inefficiency of the lobby system, the government and business unholy alliance that needs to be divorced. And what we see around us is largely incompetence rather than creeping totalitarianism. But at the same time, I understand many people do see it as creeping totalitarianism and a certain type of uh, grip on our lives that will not ever be loosened even once the pandemic is far behind us. So uh, here to help me understand this is a guy who sees totalitarianism as clearly as if he had supported it in his communist past. Please welcome the man, the myth, the proof that uh, uh, you could come back from the Borg. There's a reference uh, only some people will understand, but I don't think he will understand. Nikos Sotirakopoulos. Hi, Rog. I thank you very much. So you see, to... Uh... As, as, as a testament to how seriously I take your opinion, there is no East German reference to today's title, though today it would be more fitting than when we did it. Okay, so what happened? So technically at the moment, there is no official ban in the UK to travel abroad for a very simple reason, that you're not supposed to be out of your house unless you have a good reason. Now this goes away in some, in a few days. So you could be out of your house with a good reason. So now there's this legal gap. What do we do with, with travel? So people anyway would not travel, but now what if someone is seen walking towards the airport, for example? So the new law, which is gonna be passed in the parliament on Thursday says that it is illegal to fly abroad and it's been called holiday ban, but it's not only holiday ban. So it's illegal to travel abroad unless you fall under some categories. And these categories include to, to uh, morbid reasons, you know, someone died and stuff, or happy reasons, you get married, or things like you have to take care of your property if you have a property, or medical reasons. Otherwise, so first of all, to fly abroad, you need to have a good reason and you need to fill in a form. Now, I will not make the arguments of individual rights, this ship has sailed long time ago. And I'll try not to make this a rant, but here's my problem with this. So my problem is that it's A, it's very enthusiastically supported by people, at least from what we see in social media. And here's what I found more creepy. The creepiest thing in this case is that most people commented that, oh, there's a fine of 5,000 pounds, if you try to fly away and you get caught. But this fine can be actually paid by someone who is rich. So the center left, so to speak, and the left 
are arguing that this basically allows the super rich to travel and the right, the conservatives, or many of them, if Twitter and social media are the real world, their problem is, yes, but migrants are still coming in. So no one is making the case that, wait, isn't there something weird with this measure? They're making the case either that, oh, the rich are still gonna be able to escape, or this is a hypocrisy because immigrants can still come in. That's my first problem. Second problem, which, and why, that's why this has its place on a show like this. I think there's a very important epistemological problem here. And here's what I mean. There are some questions that should be asked that no one is asking. So the reason for this travel ban is that there's a third wave in Europe, which is partially true. And there are some new variants of concern. So although the UK is leading Europe in vaccinations, so more, almost 30 million people have gotten the first dose. So almost 50% of adult population, I think more than 50% and almost two million and a half have gotten the second dose. So here's my simple question. If the vaccine is not effective to the variant, then we need to be told that, you know what, until we find a vaccine resistant to the variant, it's gonna be like that for long. And this means that if this variant proves to be, it's mostly the South African variant, if this proves to be the dominant one, does this mean that we're gonna be in this situation for maybe, I don't know how long? And why no one asks this question? But if this is not the case, so the government says, until we vaccinate more people, don't travel abroad. And the simple question is, what's your rationale behind it? If the vaccine works, who cares? The vulnerable are vaccinated. If the vaccine does not work, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to buy time? Maybe there are some people frantically trying to build a new vaccine. Tell us this. There is no argument. There is, there is just that, oh yeah, we, we, let's wait and see. And that's what really pisses me off. The lack of curiosity by journalists, by the opposition. Of course, the opposition wants even harsher measures. So this is why I think this is significant. One, the state is even more flexing its power to us. Two, I see a society that is sleepy in terms of not even bothering to ask the questions. I don't see where is, why, why isn't there everyone asking this question? Why are you doing that? Do you know something about the vaccines that we don't? And if you don't, what's the point? Sorry, I have more rants, but I'll pause here. I think uh, you're correct to point out that sloppy thinking sort of brings about real life concrete problems. It brings about, among many other things, sloppy people and sloppy policy and and uh, you end up you end up seeing people clinging to single issues like immigration becomes the bane of their existence. So as all of this is happening, happening, I think you pointed out that some people are their biggest concern about all of this is, you know, but so immigrants are still migrating or migrants are still migrating. But um, but let me ask you, like, you know, you're 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 looking at this travel restriction as though it's uh, like the worst thing in the world. Like where like is not Aren't you being a little bit selective by isolating this? What about the all of the restrictions on free trade, on medicine, on on the way Im migrants are often treated um, when when trying to, to to immigrate? I guess it, it it seems a little bit selective, and this is on, my ongoing problem with this. Uh, by the way, thank you for the super chats. I think that's Fabian with the Swiss money. I think I I know it by now. Thank you for the two Swiss fr francs. He says, "Now do we call it East Germany?" 
And I say, no, we don't call it East Germany. I don't, I, I feel, I, I, I thought Fabian was uh, one of my kind of people based on our clubhouse interactions. I thought he's a measured and I still, I, I, I say he still is measured and calm and thoughtful, but call, no, we don't call it East Germany. Jesus Christ, everybody. Hyper, hyperbole, now, okay. hyper, let me finish, please. Hyperbole is fun. I use it. And also thank you, um, Jonathan and um, the, uh, and Shona Clements, Shona Clements for the five something or another euros or, or frank or pounds. But no, sorry, sorry to deviate there. I like hyperbole. It's fun. It's funny. But seriously, guys, what am I, the babysitter around here? East Germany is a brutal place where you get mowed down in the street because some drunk bureaucrat didn't, didn't like the shirt you had on. East Germany is a place where you're not simply confined to a specific area, but what you say in your home is, uh, is up for uh, per prosecution. And what you think, if, if uh, identified, can be, could put you in trouble. In, in East Germany, they were not sitting at home with uh, high-speed internet ranting about the government over, over broadband, over the internet, and collecting super chats. Back to you, Nikos. Okay, so why do I care? Because that's the context of my life, first of all. And that's what really pisses me off. That's not to you, by the way. Many people are like, oh, so do you have to travel to Greece? Yes, I do. My family is here. I have good reasons. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna qualify myself to Twitter why there's a, there's, it's important for me to be able to travel between Greece and the UK. That's the first thing. That's the, so the second thing is, again, could one person, for the sake of the argument, because I know people don't care anymore about principles or about rights and stuff. So I give up my narrative in favor of your narrative, within your narrative people who are in favor of this travel ban. Could you tell me what is its rationale and what is its way out? If not, maybe you shouldn't, you, we, you shouldn't have an argument. Here's a third point though, and this is something again, that is, I find really, really, really annoying. This has sacrifice written all over it. That's exactly what it is. I understand people not wanting to travel. I cannot understand people who get pissed off that some people might be able to travel by affording the penalty. So this is the real life application of we're all in this together. We're all in this together means that you might have reasons to travel, tough luck. Your values doesn't ma do not matter. The context of your life does not matter. What you want in life does not matter. And one more thing, one more, one more, one more thing. No, actually, now I'm uh, so pissed off that I forget the, I forget the, the other, the other comments. Okay. Oh, let me tell you one short story. So I'm going back to the UK in three, four days. So here is how now you have to travel, and tell me why you needed an extra layer of measures. So to travel to the UK, I have to take a test in Greece. Then I have to take a test in day two in the UK. I have to stay in quarantine. And then I have to take a test in day eight in the UK. Having said that, I can take a test in day five and leave the quarantine. But then I still have to take the test in day eight in the UK. Now, all these so the trip to the UK at the moment costs something like 500 pounds if you add all these tests. Again, this is not me saying, oh, it's a first world problem. People shouldn't have to qualify to others why they need to travel and why they have a right 
to travel. I understand the need for the, for the measures. Even before the official quarantines, I would quarantine every time I would travel to Greece because there are some people around who, you know, who are in vulnerable groups. But this idea that now, not only we have accepted that it's okay to have the travel ban, but we are furious because someone might. So today there was a lot of discussion in the media that, oh, you know what? There are many rich people who have a second house abroad. And because part of the window where you can travel is if you have to take care of, a, of your property abroad, why should these people be able to travel? So this is the level, this is where envy, altruism, altering the way Ayn Rand uses it, and self-sacrifice lead you. That you are pissed off that someone might be able to travel while you stay at home and you are so happy with these new measures. Look, I agree with, uh, I agree and I sympathize. And um, I mean, look, I mean, this is, again, this is what you get with a lobby system. You get it in every facet of daily life. I know we're used to the uh, regulatory stake because we were born into it. We were born into a seasoned, late stage, regulated, you know, semi-capitalist society. But I mean, this is the type of thing people deal with. Imagine if you're a businessman and this is basically the type of thing you deal with your whole life. All you want to do is produce what it is that you've chosen to produce. And depending on your, your industry, you're constantly dealing with impediments by the government. And all you see around is people vilifying you and acting like, of course, this is necessary and it should be even more so. And why is this guy over here not as regulated as this other guy over here? I mean, uh, it's terrible. I'm, I'm not d disagreeing with anything you're saying. I'm simply adding to it and saying this is uh, this is what we get, you know, because philosophically we don't embrace individual rights and we don't we don't uh, on, on moral grounds. We don't believe the individual has a moral right to live for his own sake. And along with that comes, I think, the practical doubt that capitalism could deal with these with problems like COVID-19 and travel during a uh, during a, a, a worldwide pandemic. So um, I don't think we disagree. Uh, somehow we, we, we managed to turn it into a East Germany argument again, or maybe I made No, it. no, we're not going to get in. Look, yeah. I get, I really get, I took your point at heart that East Germany, by doing this, by doing these comparisons in a way, we, we make light of what East Germany was about. Having said that, mm -hmm. let me pass also the message to some fellow objectivists that be careful with your hyperboles, for example, when you also compare the, the coup in the capital with 9-11. Anyway, someone says, someone says in the chat that you could be arrested actually for things you say in your home in the UK. And indeed, there is some legislation. There are various pieces of legislation in Scotland where if you quite stretch them, this could be the case. And of course, in the UK, you know that the police can knock on your door for quote hate crimes, but anyway, this is not a competition of what is the worst, uh, what is the worst government. Here is though what is my question, and this is what I encourage our friends to either comment on the chat or when we move in a couple of minutes in Clubhouse. How should someone react to that? So, since this morning, I've been, I've really wanting to leave the UK for good. Like this is not something new. I've because of the roots I have here, I've always wanted to, was always thinking about moving to Greece. So what I'm thinking is, look, all governments are horrible, but there is some level, some threshold where you say, you know what, I've had enough. If I'm going to live under central planners, 
then at least I wanted to be somewhere nice. So anyway, that's something very personal. But the question is, how should one react to these things? And I'm, again, I'm not only pissed off with the government, I'm pissed off with a general narrative that says, yeah, that's perfectly fine. And we should have done it earlier. And actually, how dare you? You're very selfish for wanting to travel. And notice something else. In the UK, we had a referendum in 2016. And the one side, the Remain side, who now they're on the barricades supporting tougher measures, they were saying how nice it is that in this country we have so many people who are from somewhere else and they can travel. And now no one is bringing it up, not even for sympathy, not even for saying, you know what, we need these measures, but it's a bit tough luck for people who, you know, you have family abroad or you have reasons to travel abroad. You shouldn't travel, but we feel you. It's no, 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 no. And remember, this was supposed to be the thing that would bring us closer. We're going out and clapping in the balconies and the gardens for our heroes and all that stuff. And this was supposedly would make us better people. And if you dared 12 months ago to say, you know what, I predict this is not going to make us better people, you would be actually, you would be the bad guy. Anyway, so here's a question to our audience and to you, Raga. How should one react to that in a way that is not self-sacrificial, but in a way that at some point you say, you know what, enough is enough? Good question. I mean, I pay my taxes. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I need to pick my battles and uh, I basically play by the rules that I did not really accept. I never signed up for. So I don't really know how someone should deal with this type of situation, but what you need to do is be serene about what you cannot change, what you're not in control of and really double down on what you are in control of, which I think uh, we've done here at Ayn Rand Center UK during this pandemic. And uh, please consider becoming a member, by the way. It's a great way to help this thing grow further and uh, have more wonderful rants from Nikos. Um, yeah, look, I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're naming a bunch of things that I think are very worrisome, such as the, you know, all everything with regards to travel and this pandemic. Also, yeah, free speech violations in Europe. This is huge. The fact that certain speech is not is unlawful in many parts of Europe or maybe all of Europe is huge. It's it needs to be fought tooth and nail because, yes, it is sort of the beginning of the end. But it is still a large question of degrees when we need to be clear. We're not there yet. We're not yet in a police state where but but we need to be very, very um, strongly opposed to such laws. You know, I went to uh, England and I participated in, in an event uh, with Count Dankula. Uh, I, you know, I was there to make fun of Sargon. I mean, sorry, I mean, there to stick up for Count Dankula's free speech. Um, and, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the coup in the Capitol and uh, as though you don't want to talk about it, but you mentioned it. Sorry. I mean, Ooh. air quotes I, for people who don't see. Because, again, a coup, has a, definition. All, a coup has a definition. What happened was something for me. It was not a coup, but sorry, that's not the discussion. Go on. I mean, uh, it was uh, a very shocking event for many people. I don't think you've ever been to Washington, D.C. And, and sort of stood in the room where the founders breathed that same air or air in that same space and seen the documents and seen the sort of process that reflects rule of law. And to see a bunch of uh, loonies storming into there obviously is not comparable as far as uh, life and limb to airplanes flying into literal buildings. But uh, in terms of shock value, it is very shocking. And as far as calling it a coup, which, by the way, has a silent P at the end, 
I mean, I don't know exactly when you call something a coup, but I know when a sitting president is saying we will not go, you know, peace, we will not give this up. And then you see people storming to interrupt a, a ballot counting process or whatever you call that process. It's uh, very, very shocking and disturbing. And, and I would offer you that when you put, remove me from the equation for a minute, when you see people that we look up to either calling it a coup or saying this is comparable to 9-11, I think uh, we ought to think about it and uh, and not not just dismiss them. So I like how we turned this into a, an episode involving East Germany and the storming of the capital on. No, but I, I come from a country that had an actual coup and an actual dictatorship. So to the people, well, frankly, said... Greece, Greece is not that as important to me as the United States. So uh, the yeah, fact but that, that one that one crappy group of people tried to displace another doesn't matter to me so much. But the United States. It's shocking when when people storm the U.S. Capitol. Sorry, yeah, to it is, and it's uh, it's ridiculous and uh, despicable all that stuff. In my in my books, it's not a coup. But anyway, something important that was mentioned. First of all, many thanks, Jonathan Marilyn, for your super chat. But also many thanks to Bonnie, who has not sent a super chat, but she's been trying to send a super chat. So you know, in our heart, it's as if you you send it. Okay, one last point. So you mentioned free speech, and I. I, I came up with a thought. So I encourage anyone who care about freedom, even if they don't care about travels, to support the travel ban. And here's, sorry, to, sub, to condemn the travel ban. And here is why. Remember, I don't know how many of you remember it. Around the early 2000s, some very few people had the guts to talk against the criminalization of Holocaust denial. And why do I say very brave? Because Holocaust denial is morally despicable. Holocaust deniers are what we think they are, very, very bad people, okay? And yet, the, everyone would agree that Holocaust denial is bad. Therefore, what is it, what's the problem with a bit of infringement of someone's rights there? And here we are two decades in where the police again can knock on your door and ask you questions for a tweet. Therefore, you might consider the travel ban as a first world problem because a Greek cannot travel back and forth in his two homes. But keep in mind that you either support individual rights in their entirety or you do not understand them. And then a bit down the road, you find yourself in the position of the victim. And the bit down the road in the current time frame, this time frame might be very, very short. Anyway, that's all from me. And uh, again, the 9-11 comment was not addressed uh, to you. I respect your opinions. And again, that's why I've internalized the dead air criticism and I'm not calling it anymore dead air, but I'm as pissed off, actually way more pissed off than when we did the dead air episode. I understand. And thank you, Bonnie, for the five American dollars. Nice to see uh, the, uh, some, you know, real money. I'm joking, of course. That's, see, there's hyperbole again when I downplay the significance of un-American money. She goes, complacency, because we've been controlled for so long, it's becoming the norm. Yeah. And as I tried to uh, highlight, like we're used to it in medicine, especially you Europeans, are used to it in medicine, used to deal with bureaucracy and restrictions. Businessmen deal with it even much more than the average sort of uh, nine to five worker. Um, it's, uh, I mean, uh, we need to really identify philosophically. And I, I commend the Ayn Rand Institute and other objectivists who stood up against, spoke out against um, the laws that restrict Holocaust denial. So even though Holocaust deniers can go to hell, but while they're on earth, 
Um, they have a right to speak. And if we don't protect their right to speak, then, then we have no civilization uh, in a matter of time. But again, as, as we reach that, as we uh, drive off that cliff, we, we should be accurate in assessing the current situation. I understand. I'm not calling it a first world problem. I'm just saying it's, it's a matter of degrees of, of, of overarching government. Look, if this pandemic meant I couldn't, like if, if, if the regulations of this pandemic meant I could not, let's say, edit videos or produce music or, or do it, what it is, or discuss objectivism on the daily objective, I might feel like we are in East Germany or whatever it is and we've arrived. But still, even so, um, I think we need to be prudent in such statements. Good episode. Um, I'm glad we finally got to discuss the pandemic and all of the government policy around it. You know, uh, it's, it's really about time uh, this show had an episode about that. Um, that's For a American. moment, I thought you were serious, but... <laughs> the, the British people understood the sarcasm, but maybe some of the other Europeans needed, uh, needed yeah, that the, the Balkans, the Balkans don't get it. Okay, hey, what? So... what do you mean? You had an episode about this. But uh, so we're jumping over to Clubhouse. Is that what you're about to say? Uh, we yes, got a big day, and big the day Lord and the Lord Ebro behind the scenes, I think, has said that today you and me are the chairs of the discussion. So I hope we know what we're doing. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Fabian and others and anyone else who joins us in Clubhouse uh, wants to d join the conversation because we want to know what you think. Also, it's a big day on Clubhouse because we're going to be having an Israeli election special later in the day. Um, that's going to be starting around 15 minutes before the exit polls, says Razi. So I don't know exactly what time that is, but later today or tonight, if you're watching this in Europe, um, as the Israelis begin to close their exit, their, their polling stations or whatever you, however you would put it, um, there's going to be a show about 80 minutes from now, says Razi. Okay, so big day, big couple hours coming up on Clubhouse. We're about to jump over there now and keep discussing this with some of you. And then in about 80 minutes from, from now, there's going to be an Israeli election special with Razi, with hopefully we'll get some of your favorite uh, Israeli objectivists. And Israeli objectivists is redundant. <laughs> you know, Yaron, Talitzfani, Boaz, Arad, you, na you name the objectivist. And uh, chances are they're, they're, they got something to add to this topic. So big day on Clubhouse. So join us there. And we'll be back here as well tomorrow oh big day a uh, big show tomorrow sorry to, to filibuster longer but we're gonna have a few students on tomorrow some uh young objectivist students are gonna be on the daily objective i'm gonna interview them we're gonna have a we're gonna have a fun time so look forward to that as well see you back here it's tomorrow like one time. of these family dinners i don't know if you have it in the states but in greece you always have the occasion an uncle who says i'm gonna sit at the table with the kids because i'm the anyway i'm gonna be that guy that guy tomorrow okay off to clubhouse bye everyone bye